Hello, and welcome to Book Squad Goals. Um, Before we start the episode, I want to once again address what is happening in our country right now, and I want to restate that we at Book Squad Goals 100% support the Black Lives Matter movement and the protests that are still happening in many cities around the country, and we encourage our listeners, especially our white listeners, we're talking to you, to stay tuned in, stay focused, and help out in any way you can. Um, the cops who murdered Breonna Taylor have still not been arrested as of this recording. And if you're listening to this in a future where they have been arrested, that doesn't change the fact that there is still an incredible amount of work we need to do in order to genuinely consider ourselves allies to the Black community. Um, like, a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> we will once again provide links to organizations that need your support in our show notes. We will also include a link to Verso's free ebook of The End of Policing by Alex S. Vitali. Vital? Not sure how to say his last name. Um, when we talk about defunding and abolishing the police, which is a really common topic of conversation happening right now, um, and a lot of people are very resistant to that idea, so the most powerful tool to have in our arsenal is knowledge of what kind of system might work in its place. And this book uh, will inform you about that and also about the failures of policing since its inception. So highly recommend you check that out. Um, we also want to add that as of today... <sighs> J.K. Rowling has published an absolute crock of transphobic bullshit on her website, and while we have been vocal about our love for the Harry Potter series, we are horrified by her comments and reject her stance completely, and we will be including information about how you can support the trans and black trans communities in our show notes. In addition, you can head over to social media where Mary has posted some personal recommendations for non-binary authors of color you should check out. Thank you for doing that, Mary. Yeah, non-binary yeah. and transgender authors of color. Yes. Yeah. Be excited. A lot of them are poets, too. So if you're looking to expand your poetry, poetry. arsenal. Yeah. And Emily, speaking of supporting Black queer voices. Yeah, so I was just made aware of this today, actually. I don't know why she didn't tell me about this earlier. Um, but it worked out great because we were just about to record this episode and it fits in with what we were talking about. Anyway, I'm glad to help out a friend. Friend of the pod, Candace, is um, working on a short film called Edible. Um, it's a really difficult time to be making a movie. <laughs> yeah. um, and she kind of goes into that on her website. We'll post a link there's a video where she's explaining her process and how she's going to fund this film and get it done while still social distancing um, and hopefully helping out some people who might be struggling financially because of the coronavirus. For instance, um, she wants to find a filming location um, where she can help somebody pay their rent who might be unemployed or underemployed right now um, and use their apartment to film um, and kind of find ways that she can make this um, film a beneficial experience um, for everyone involved in many ways. So we'll post a link to the website and where you can donate to her movie. She is a black queer filmmaker, um, and uh, the movie is 
as you might have guessed from the title, it is about eating an edible. Um, so it sounds really interesting. I really like to see it made. Um, I'm going, I'm going to donate. I hope you guys will too. I will be donating. It looks like a cool film. Yeah. Yeah. I want her to make it so I can watch it. I'm also just, you know, Candace and I went to school together and, um, I'm just kind of really proud of everything that she's done because uh, I feel like she's accomplished a lot more than I have <laughs> since <laughs> we've been out of school. And I'm really like, I just think this is awesome that she's trying to get this film made or she's going to get this film made. Um, and I'm really excited to see it. So awesome job, Candace! Yeah. Yay. Yay. All right. Um, so now for our actual intro, um, <laughs> we don't usually have a preface preface. Preface. Sometimes you gotta. Sometimes you gotta. Sometimes um, JK runs her mouth and you gotta say something about it. Yeah. I could talk about that and how angry I am for hours, but I won't. But we're not because, here to do that today. Yeah, yeah. Today we're here to um, talk about a book called Mostly Dead Things by Kristen Arnett. And then later in the episode, Emily will be interviewing Erica Boyce about Lost at Sea. Yeah. Yeah. So stick around for that, or if you haven't read this book and you don't want spoilers, you can skip Go ahead, ahead and skip over. There will be no spoilers. As always with these interviews, we try to keep them spoiler-free, so if you're curious about reading Lost at Sea, you can definitely listen to this interview first. Yes. Um, okay, so time for an intro question, which infuriates Emily, and <laughs> I just want you all to be prepared for that. No, I, um, <laughs> it's like it's like nobody read that I said that I had a real answer, but it's fine. Um, what is your favorite pop culture love triangle, Emily? Um, so I am going with uh, Carrie and Big and Aiden from Sex and the City, um, because I guess it's the one that makes me the most emotional and... I'm one of those people who's like very staunchly team Aiden. Um, I think I think Big is an asshole. Um, I think one yeah, of so is Carrie though. Yes, but I think one of the major flaws of the show is that she ends up with Big in the end. Sorry, spoiler for a really fucking old show. Um, but I, I just think it's sort of like a bad message because like he treated her like crap. For the whole show, and then, like, suddenly in the last season was like, wait a minute, I've been an asshole, let's get together. And that's, and then guess what, he continues to be an asshole in the movies, so. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, this is my problem with Love Triangles, is I think, like, uh, I don't know, I feel like if, any, if either of the choices were good, there wouldn't be a Love Triangle in the first place. <laughs> so, um oh. I think love triangles in general are dumb, but I'm picking this one because it is the one that I was the most emotionally invested in probably like as it was happening. Um, yeah. I rewatched Sex and the City recently. Oh, like, I rewatch it all the time. Probably around the beginning of quarantine, maybe a little bit before that, but like start to finish. And I forgot how truly terrible Big is. He's really Oh, awful. yeah. He's awful. And – and I kept texting my friends about it and being like, wow, I forgot, like, how shitty Carrie is a lot of the time, too. Well, my my true ship in that show is Miranda and Steve. I love Miranda and Steve. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Mostly I love Miranda. Oh, yeah. So. Miranda's the best thing about that <laughs> I mean, show. my true ship is Charlotte and Harry. Okay. Well, oh, that's man. fine. But I still like Miranda to see it better. They're sweet. They yeah. are sweet. I have never watched Harry's this bad. show, so I cannot speak to any of these ships. You're, li- know, you're living it, Kelly. But... Now I will talk about a show that none of you have watched, Probably even have. though I beg and plead. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. That ship has sailed. Bummer. So my favorite love triangle is Buffy, Angel, Spike. Because it's two vampires. One of them has a soul. One of them doesn't. (laughs) And one of them starts out as a villain. And then it becomes a love triangle. Like, love this kind of shit, you know? And this is, like, pretty similar to, like, the love triangle that happens in True Blood, I would say. Um, Which I would also say they stole from Buffy. Probably. Um, (laughs) I mean, also, Vampire Diaries, same thing happens. Yeah. Um, I haven't actually watched Vampire Diaries, so I'm not, like, familiar with the difference between those two dudes. uh, Other than, like, one of them is way hotter than the other. But... Uh, yeah. It, I don't know. It's fun. I enjoy it. I like where it goes. And I also like that it's it's not that much of a love triangle as much as it's, like, two different relationships that happen at different times, but, like, the other relationship is still, like, a presence, you know? It's not like she's trying to decide between both of them. It's more they both happen and the other one is always lingering. So, mm. uh... Yeah, I. that's my answer. This has been Kelly. <laughs> this has been Love Triangles with Kelly. <laughs> um, this is Susan. I'm going to cheat a little bit mm-hmm. um, because I couldn't think of one at first. And then I sort of thought of one, but it's it's a rectangle Uh-oh. or a square. Not a square because it's not even. A rhombus. But um, this is going to be um, Big Love. It is mm. Bill oh. Paxton's character and his three wives. Um, while they are all aware of each other and, in fact, share one giant backyard, there is a major power struggle between wives one, two, and three, based on the order they were married. Um, Big Love is a great show. You should watch it. It is That's a all. good show. My favorite wife is the second wife, played by Chloe Sevigny, <laughs> of mm. course. She's the best. And the craziest. Yes. Go ahead. I just looked over and I see two tiny kitten paws. Oh. Under the, jammed under the door. Oh, yeah, that um, happens a lot here. My love triangle is actually a real life love triangle. Okay. It is the famous poet, Elizabeth Bishop. Girl, getting all literary. Okay. Wow. Uh, her like (laughs) college roommate mary morse and her long-term lover lota de macedo suarez where's the movie about this it's called reaching for the moon (laughs) there is a movie actually (laughs) i was gonna say this this is a good movie premise it's i love this love triangle so much it had to be incredibly awful to live through but it is like juicy Oh my god. Because Elizabeth Bishop was, like, living abroad with Lota, but then Mary Morse came and, like, lived with them for a while. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, she did. And they all three were just sort of living together. They took in a random kid from the nearby village. <laughs> like, wow. It's completely bizarre. And Elizabeth Bishop was, like, kind of a badass in a lot of other ways, too. Like, pretty famously, an old college friend of hers wrote her and was like, I love you. I want to be with you. I'm going to kill myself if you say no. And she just wrote back, no. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Um, She's like, I have my hands full, clearly. But um, it's a really, it's a really juicy story. Elizabeth Bishop had a wild, uh, freaky sex life. You can yeah. hear a little bit about it in the movie Reaching for the Moon. It's a little really bit, and also she's a great, uh, great poet. Yeah, I want to hear a that lot about awesome. it. One of my favorites. I did not know about any of that. She, I mean, she was Looking kind of like. Name having a wild queer life before it was cool, you know? Yeah. That's what's also great about, like, a fully gay love triangle is that, like, everyone can be with everyone. Yes. You know? However... It's not just, like, a... It did not work out well. (laughs) There's, like... I know there's one Elizabeth Bishop poem where it's, like, wake... she The speaker is, like, waking up in this room and looking out the window at this beautiful landscape and uh lota elizabeth's uh lover was an architect and she was like i know what window that is like read the poem and was like you're cheating on oh, shit <laughs> damn <laughs> it's so oh, great goodness. i mean it's bad it's not it was not fun but it's <laughs> a good story uh definitely gonna be checking that one out okay <laughs> well we were talking about love triangles because there is one in the book that we are discussing. Uh, I'm going to read the Goodreads summary of Mostly Dead Things. Um, one morning, Jessa Lynn Morton walks into the family taxidermy shop to find that her father has died by suicide right there on one of the metal tables. Shocked and grieving, Jessa steps up to manage the failing business while the rest of the Morton family crumbles. Her mother starts sneaking into the shop to make aggressively lewd art with the taxidermied animals. Her brother Milo withdraws, struggling to function. And Bryn, Milo's wife, the only person Jessa's ever been in love with, walks out without a word. This is misleading because she walked out before, before he died. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway. She had been gone. Yeah. As Jessa seeks out the less-than-legal ways of generating income, her mother's art escalates. Picture a figure of her dead husband in a stuffed buffalo in an uncomfortably sexual pose. And the Mortons reach a tipping point. For the first time, Jessa has no choice but to learn who these people truly are and ultimately how she fits alongside them. You know, I'm glad I didn't read that because part of that doesn't happen until, like, very late. Yeah, I know. So, um, and I, I was going to say this before reading the description, but I thought it would be okay to wait, but I guess not. That uh, Spoiler warning, but we did mention it earlier in the episode. Um, also, it's not my fault. It's the Goodreads description. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, I'm also, really glad I didn't read that. Yeah. Yeah. Also, content warning for suicide. Um, if that is upsetting for you, maybe skip this one. Um, also, lots of animal abuse in this book. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, And just, like, even more than abuse, just, like, descriptions of dead animals, which may be something that also bothers you. But also, they straight up kill a lot of animals. (laughs) Yeah. So. Speaking of dead animals. um, No. 
<laughs> I mean, we're going to have to talk about dead animals, Mary. Yeah. This is, okay, I just figured that it would be easiest to talk first about taxidermy because it yeah. is the most, it seems like the most obvious thing to talk about right off the bat because it's a huge part of the main character Jess's life and the process of taxidermy is described throughout in extensive detail. Uh, the book is also divided into two sections, skinning and mounting. How does taxidermy function as the center of this novel, and how does it interact with the novel's other themes like family dysfunction, sexuality, etc.? So, a couple of things about that. First of all, by the time we got to the section about mounting, definitely forgot that the first section was called skinning. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, <laughs> These are not equal sections. Like when the when skinning <laughs> takes a lot longer. Yeah, but when the title <laughs> mounting so. came up, I was like, "Oh, we're we doing sections?" I did not realize that. <laughs> like, I just like it totally forgot. Um, also, I will say that like I kind of skimmed over a lot of the like taxidermy detail stuff because like I you know like I'm pretty and I've said this on the podcast before I'm pretty like squeamish about like animal stuff um and so I was like I just kind of skimmed it and I don't feel like I missed out anything by skimming it I felt like a lot of it was just gratuitous personally the one thing I want to say about taxidermy because <laughs> I know we're going to get into gross grossness yeah. later yeah yeah but one thing that this book does that eventually grew to bother me, like the more I noticed it, because at the beginning I thought it wasn't going to be as uh, pertinent as <laughs> it became. But, okay, once when I was in college, the first time I tried to write a sonnet, I wrote it about this old man who was like withering away, but at the same time it was winter and like the trees are withering away. And I thought this was like, mm-hmm. you know, and my teacher was basically like, you can't just like give people the metaphor and like mm-hmm. spell it out for them exactly one for one. <laughs> like this isn't mm-hmm. a good poem, basically. Eventually, this book just says, Jess is basically a taxidermied animal who's stuck in time and can't feel anything and won't move forward with her life. And I'm going to read that passage because yeah. yes. I marked it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it happens a lot, but there's like a moment where it's just like two on the nose. Yeah. Uh, but there were things this is what she's talking about. Like if I could have just like run off and left too, I would have done it. Um, if it was something she could do, then I could do it too. But there were things holding me at home, family and my memories. Nostalgia carved out my insides, patting my bones until my limbs stuck, splayed, frozen in time, refusing to live. And it's that basic comparison a lot Mm. yeah and eventually it wore on me (laughs) yeah i i will agree with that and say that in some ways i feel like this story might have been better served as a short story Mm -hmm. uh because it does seem to return to the same things over and over again and i i didn't mind the gratuitous description, because I tend to find, like, description of processes of things kind of interesting, especially if I don't know how they work. Um, and, like, I, I definitely get, um, upset about animal stuff, but for some reason, like, watching it in a movie is, like, really upsetting it to, upsetting to me, but reading it, um, is, like, not as visceral for me personally. Yeah. So I can, like, handle it a lot better. Um, so while it was gross, I wasn't, like, 
I didn't, I wasn't like uncomfortable with it. So I like read it and, and found it interesting and definitely like, um, appreciated that like it is like, I appreciated the way that she described how to bring things to life and how that's different than just like stuffing an animal, like the artistry of making it look like it's alive of like Mm -hmm. forming its body in a very certain way, tilting its head, like all these different things. Um, I did find that interesting. I think though that like my experience with animals bodies is like further removed than you guys. Cause I don't eat animals. Yeah. And so, like, I would never even cook an animal. Like, I w- yeah. like I don't fuck with that. And so, like, for me, <laughs> like, I could not, you know? I can understand yeah. that. So, like, You've always been a vegetarian, I've right? I've been a vegetarian since I was 10 years old. So, like, okay. I'm very removed from, like, I've never cooked meat before. Yeah. So there's yeah. not a lot of viscera in your yeah. life. <laughs> so like, I mean, to to be fair, I I don't cook meat often at all. Like, I'll eat meat if I go out, but like, I haven't, especially since quarantine started. Like, I have cooked meat once. Yeah, I cooked chicken one time. Um, I'm not like, and I don't really know how to do a good job cooking meat. It's not really my thing. Uh, but yeah, I I understand what you're saying that like, as a person who doesn't like experience animals bodies in any way other than like when they're alive usually yeah uh it's it's uncomfortable it's uncomfortable and it's something that i just like don't want to read about yeah you know yeah. um that's fair but with that being said like again like i don't feel like i can understand like if you're interested in that like it's interesting but me like i didn't want to read it so i just kind of skimmed over it and i don't feel like i missed out on anything yeah probably not I mean, I think I think it's more about like the idea of it than than yeah. the actual process, right? For sure. Like um, I got it; it was gross. Like I get it. I thought those <laughs> parts were really. I thought those were well written parts, though. So yeah, and I did also find it interesting in that, like, I don't know anything about those processes. After a while, it, there. I mean, there were some parts that were definitely like gross, but um, I thought like. I thought the author handled them well in in the way she described them. I just got sick of the metaphor being like, yeah, I agree. driven home so hard so many times yeah. over yeah. so many pages. And now that you said it would be better as a short story, I'm like, damn. Yeah, I agree. I it think, would. Because I, so. <laughs> I just think about what if we had one really graphic scene of taxidermy to provide a metaphor and not right twenty. Well, and I also think the flashback scenes were a little repetitive also. They were. Yeah. So, they like, I, I was very interested in them at first, but then I was like, once I got a picture, I was like, we get it. Bryn is a bitch. Like. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that because <laughs> that's the next thing on my list. And, and what I – something I want to talk about is the characters. Um, and this is mostly – as we're, as we're saying, we have, like, a repeated metaphor and um, – you know, this is this is mostly a character-driven novel because there's not that much plot happening here and not that much momentum to the story. Um, so our main players are Jessa, her brother Milo, their respective ex-lover and ex-wife Bryn. Which, that's a whole, <laughs> a whole thing. That's a whole thing. Mm-mm. Um, Mm-mm. So 
We also have their parents, uh, Jessa and Milo's parents, Milo and Bryn's kids, Lolly and Bastion, and Jessa's new lady friend, Lucinda. So what did you guys think of these people and their relationships with each other, and why were they all terrible? (laughs) I was going to say, it's hard to like really anybody. I hated literally every character in this book except for the mom. I was just about to say the mom is is the one who I the mom's fine. Like she's going through some stuff. Yeah, like let her be. Damn, like that. That was my main problem with Jesso. Was I was like, why are you being such a bitch to your mother? Like, I I understand that like finding out about your parents' sex life is not fun or something you necessarily want. But I want to be like Jessa. You're an adult. You're yeah, but that. I think also it's very clear that she like sex is something that's been very repressed in her household. Yeah. Like at one point, she yeah. talks about how her dad like yelled at her for like walking around her house in a t-shirt and underwear. Like, um, yeah. So her reaction made sense because of that. Yeah, it, I mean, it made sense, yeah. but also I'm like, your mom's clearly grieving yeah. and going through some stuff, yeah. so you can just let her be a little. It also bit. seemed, I mean, part of it I think was an impulse to protect her dad's yeah. m- memory, mm-hmm. um, right? Although he seemed also awful. Yes. So yeah, but like, it's pretty clear that like besides Bryn. Jessa feels like her dad's, like, the only one that kind of, like, gets her, and she's the only one that gets him, which is not true. They seem to actually not really know each other either, mm-hmm. like everyone yeah. else. <laughs> um, yeah. I have, I have questions about the dad later, too. I <laughs> could not deal with how much – because, I mean, the book is from Jessa's perspective, and I couldn't deal with how much she idolized Bryn mm-hmm. and – acted like, you know, Bryn was just the best person ever, when clearly Bryn was... Garbage. Garbage. Yeah, it was wild to me that there was literally not a single redeeming quality to her at all. Yeah. Like, But almost the same can be said for Jessa. (laughs) Yeah. Like, Jessa I mean, she's a good good aunt. But only because they're Bryn's kids. Yes. I, I yeah. honestly believe yeah, that. Yeah, and there I were if they were just really, Milo's kids, she'd be like, oh, they're just little bitches. There like, were several <laughs> really uncomfortable moments with the daughter. Is it Lolly or Loli? I don't know. I, I don't thought know. Loli, but it could okay. be either. I was reading Lolly, but uh, it, do- it doesn't matter. It's a dumb name <laughs> well, but Anyway, th- there were several uncomfortable moments where um, she's like, man, I feel like I'm hanging out with... Um, Brannigan, where I was like, this is almost yeah. getting sexual, and like, that's your brother's kid. It's incestuous. Yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, yeah. like, it was, it was more than almost sexual, I would say. Like, yeah. I think, I mean, she was talking about her body. Yes. So, like, several yeah. Doesn't she, like, smack times. her ass at one point or something and says, like, There's you look a lot like, of, like your touching mom. her neck and talking about, yeah. like, her legs and her hair. Yeah. And, like, it, it yeah. Yeah, but then again, there's a weirdly sexual moment thing that happens between Jessa and Bryn's mom. Yeah, that was definitely very sexual. I would say that the stuff with with Loli, to me at least, I was reading it more as like a like less sexual, more like I loved this person's mother 
and I see that person in them. So it's kind of like when, like, if you're reading from the perspective of, like, a person whose spouse has passed away and they're, like, looking at their child and seeing all the ways in which their child is similar to their spouse. Yeah. You know, like, it's, <laughs> to me, it wasn't like she's going to fuck the daughter. I like, she was going like to fuck her. I don't think she was going to fuck her, but I think, like, she definitely, like, I don't know. At well, some point, there were there I think were she sexual thought she's moments. fuckable. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm not gonna do it, but you know? I could see why somebody else would want to that type of yeah. thing. <laughs> well, and the, why everyone wanted to fuck Bryn in the first place is a little, especially Milo, Unclear. because it doesn't seem like <laughs> she ever like really showed any. Uh, I don't know. Anything beyond, like, a superficial interest in flirting with him? Well, yeah, but, but dudes be dumb. Like, that's I, enough. Yeah, I kind of thought he's yeah. he's dumb and he thinks she's hot and that he'd be lucky to marry her. And she thinks she needs to just, like... To me, I was just like, this along. is some real small town shit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, like, Jessa and Bryn started doing stuff more like more than friends at like 14 or 15 it seemed like well maybe 13 or 14 i thought they were 14 at that like sleepover thing but and then she starts flirting with milo also in high school this is yeah two people's like high school and it's the same person yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they almost both end up marrying her in a way (laughs) Yeah. They kind of do. I mean, they're both like, there. <laughs> one of you needs to move yeah. out of this town. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, like, it's, like, also Milo knows. Like, yeah. he knows the whole time what's going on. One thing that I did find really funny was that both times Jessa thought she was being sneaky, people were like, we all know you're fucking. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, you're literally terrible at, at fucking yeah. people secretly. <laughs> like, you're literally in the backyard fucking. Like, we all saw you. <laughs> Um, Which makes sense, because at one point, like, she and Lucinda do some shit that seems like in the middle of a parking lot underneath a light. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, I feel like a lot of people probably saw this also. Yeah. But when you're really hammered for 90% of the time. I've been there. Drinking a lot of beers. A lot of beer drinking in this. Cracking open a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Um... So, do, do we want to talk about any other characters, or should we move on? Um, Bastion was a tiny budding psychopath. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I like how she, like, she was like, oh, well, it obviously bothered him to kill animals. And I'm like, then why did he start doing did it in the first yeah, Like, there, like, I don't know. It seemed like, I was like very. It didn't bother him enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I was like fine with him until all of a sudden they go and like kill peacocks which seemed to like come out of nowhere that it was just like i don't know it it was like a very sudden shift for me in the book um when that started happening but apparently that had been happening for a while so right and of course there had to be kittens that got killed because you know i love that and a mangled dog, which was just roadkill, but was still terrible to read about. Yeah. Um, the way that Jessa, like, 
I guess it's because she's, like, basically drunk all the time at that point in the novel and, like, doesn't seem to care about anything anymore the way she yeah. just, like, at first is kind of horrified but then immediately excuses it. I was like, right. oh, okay, we're just going to for real do this now. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is now how the business runs. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Like, bringing in bags of moving things. Okay, my, uh, my dad question real quick. Yes. So... Mm-hmm. Jessa mentions, like, later in the book that he had cancer when he died. Right. Okay. So as he was sick periodically throughout her childhood and, like, teen years, Mm -hmm. was that cancer? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I thought he was withdrawing from something. Uh. Hmm. Up until she said cancer, which seemed like it was something he had indicated in the note. And not something they'd actually acknowledged as a family. So It seemed like he was hiding it. Well, he was hiding it from his kids. Yeah. Like, they were hiding it from the kids. Um, I I thought it was cancer the whole time, just because of the way that it was described. Um, and, like, the fact that what she, like, overheard them talking, and he was like, I can't do this again. That's like, why if I, I ever thought it was do- drugs. <laughs> that exact conversation. I thought it was like, I can't, like, go through the withdrawal process again. Well, I think he was saying, like, if I ever get sick again, I can't, yeah. like, this is, I'm going to do chemo this time, but, like, I'm never doing this again, Yeah, basically. So it was that same conversation, which now <laughs> I, I mean, now I think I'm wrong because they say cancer I feel later, like they would have mentioned like, it just, like, the periodic point, yeah. part of it and the fact that, like, it did seem like he might have also had a drinking problem made me think that something else was, like, maybe he was using something. I mean, they all might have a drinking problem. <laughs> well, there's no might to like. They all Jessa. have a drinking Jessa problem. Has a drinking problem. <laughs> they um, all might, ha- you know, who knows how how many of them have tried meth. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, uh, it just felt like well, because then there's also her mom says something like it's just for one day. It's Christmas. Like I thought she literally meant like get your fucking shit together for one day. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was reading those passages to Justin, and I was like, what does this sound like to you? What is going on with this person? He was like, it sounds like he's withdrawing. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, maybe. I mean, he had no other context. I was just reading in yeah. passages. <laughs> but I was like, That's this so is drugs, funny. Like, right? that did huh. not occur to me once. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because he was so secretive, too. Like, yeah. I thought maybe and it almost made sense with the suicide like it could have been like a self-medicating type thing i don't know i had a whole other theory in my head and then i was like oh i guess he just had cancer the whole time and didn't tell us kids yeah okay uh well we can you can literally cut that out if you want to because now i feel dumb but yeah, you <laughs> i just wanted to know there. more about the parents sex life yes yeah <laughs> Because I love how the mom was like, we had a robust sex life. Yeah. She's like, it was actually very healthy. Which was weird to me because at first I thought that she was, like, acting out in making these sculptures, these, like, super sexual taxidermy sculptures because she was, like, pissed at him and was like, well, you made me be repressed for my entire marriage, so. Yeah. I think you're supposed to think that in the beginning. Yeah. Right. Well, and, like, Lucinda says something like that to Jessa about her mom. Like, well, she's been repressed, so. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess she was repressed, like, that she couldn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. But. I also, though, like, how much are you talking about your sex life with your kids? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, my parents have never talked to me. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I don't know anything about that. Um, so. I'm like, I'm good, too. Yeah. No, I don't feel like I had a bad childhood because I don't know how often my parents were having sex. Like, I know, yeah, I know an okay amount about it, which is, like, I assume they do it. <laughs> I mean, I assume they and did it at great. least twice. <laughs> I know so. that when I was a kid, I would sometimes try to go into my parents' bedroom to tell them something, and the door would be locked. And I'd be like, <laughs> hey, like, I need to talk to you. And they'd be like, we're we're busy, like, you can't come in. And I'd be like, okay. And then I always assumed that they were, like, wrapping presents for me. And that was why I couldn't come in. <laughs> Man, kids are so self-absorbed. Yeah. I know. It's like, this is obviously this about is... me somehow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Love it. Um. <laughs> That's adorable. <laughs> You're like, Okay. Keep wrapping those presents, mom and dad. Yeah. I was like, I get it. I can't come in. I'm sure you're doing something really important. Uh, okay. Oh, man. Um, another thing that I that I wanted to say, re-characters, was like, Lucinda was very confusing to me. Yes. Yeah. As a character. Like, I didn't understand, like, who she was really, like, as a person, I didn't have, like, a good sense of her. And then I was also confused as to why she decided to wait until there was a show in her gallery to burn it down. <laughs> like, why would you dra- drag someone else into it? Like, I don't get it. That whole Could you get more money for what you spent on the start? On the show, yeah. I guess. But, like... Damn. Yeah. The whole situation was confusing to me. Well, you know, at first I couldn't decide if Jessa just had, like, trust issues or if Lucinda really did. shady. Yeah. (laughs) You know, because at first I was like, well, I could see why, you know, based on her romantic history, she might have, like, trust issues. Right. Like, she thinks this person is, like married and yeah but like she doesn't have any real proof yeah i thought it was funny how she kind of uh acknowledges the stereotype that like lesbians get serious really fast yeah the (laughs) u-haul lesbian yeah (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah like i it it took me a while um to feel that her mistrust was valid like it took a lot of, like, evidence before I was like, oh, okay, this is yeah. shady. <laughs> right. Um, just because I was like, well, she's, I don't, like, because I don't trust her, like, as a narrator. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there's, like, Jessa doesn't ever lie to us, but she somehow comes off as an unreliable narrator anyway. Yeah. Maybe because she's drinking the whole time or... Yeah. I don't know. Well, and we also she's know she's untrustworthy has, to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we also know she's giving us very biased portraits of like who these people are in her life. Mm-hmm. Um and like I think I think that this author does a good job because when you're writing a character like this, um even if that character isn't placing value judgments on these people, like it still needs to be clear to your reader that there's more going on. Right. Um, or that they're like, you know, we were talking about this earlier with Bran, like to 
Jessa, like Brenda is like perfect. Um, yeah. But like we as readers can see that she's not. And so I think that, you know, like <laughs> I've said a lot of things about this book that I don't like, but I think that's one thing about this book that, that is working. Um, is that like we as readers can see beyond what the narrator is telling us. Yeah. About her dad too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And we can see that like her mom is actually way more sympathetic than. Yeah. 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 She's giving her sympathy for. Right. So. Right. Good point, Emily. Every now and then I hit on something, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Trust. Me too. But then I follow it up with like, so what's he detoxing from? (laughs) (laughs) And I ruin all of my credibility. (laughs) No, I mean, like, that's, I think, you know. I mean, I've. I don't remember what book it was, but there was definitely one time I did not understand what happened in a book. Was it when you didn't know that Bourne was... <laughs> it was <laughs> when she didn't know that, that the character in Bourne was, like, an android or whatever. <laughs> That's, oh, like, yeah. my all-time favorite moment from the podcast. <laughs> Good times. Mary's just taking a sip of water, like, mm-hmm, I did that. It has to happen to all of us at some point. Yes. I mean, I have... I have no idea what was going on for all of Westworld season two. So (laughs) there's that. Okay. So next topic, which we've touched on a little bit, grossness. (laughs) A lot of the things described in this book are pretty vile. There's the process of taxidermy itself, but there's also a lot of other gross stuff. Lots of vomit, pimples, dirty rooms and homes, periods, vivid body odor descriptions, lewd sex stuff, (laughs) Florida, etc. Florida? Florida! (laughs) Um, What purpose does this emphasis on the gross? So before we started this podcast, like, after I I read a book, my favorite thing to do is to go on Goodreads and read all the one-star reviews. Like, whether I love a book or hate a book, I like to read the one-star reviews just to see how people are dogging this book. Um, and one of the things I read that I thought was really funny is it was like the, all, the review just said, nobody showers in this book. <laughs> it's true. Where's the lie? <laughs> um, the first shower happens like at the end of the book after like someone hasn't showered for like three weeks. Yeah. And she's like, we have to shower you. <laughs> like, but what about you, Jessa? <laughs> what about you? And it, the the shower can't happen until there's also, like, a taxidermy dog in the shower with them, mm-hmm. basically. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, yeah, there is a lot of gross stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So my question was, like, what purpose does this serve, if any? <laughs> I really struggle with it being gross. And, you know, like... Like Emily mentioned, like, I'm not a vegetarian. I don't have that removal from animals, but I still could not deal. And, like, there was a point when my brain was just like, I can't take any more gross stuff. It just (laughs) shut down and it became very hard for me to read. And, like, it's not just the taxidermy. It's just everything. Everything's gross. Yeah. Like, for me, like, the taxidermy stuff, as I said before, didn't really gross me out. What did gross me out was, like, there's a part where, like, Bryn pops a pimple and it oh, squirts yeah. out onto the mirror. And I was just like, what? Oh, man. My mom what? would have loved that scene because, 
My mom is one of those people that watches YouTube pimple popping videos. Dr. Pimple Popper. Yeah, she loves that stuff. But yeah, that was a giant, giant pimple. And then she was worried about getting blood all over her wedding dress. I mean, while that's a thing that happens in real life, I'm sure, it is different when it Everything is around it is also so gross. It almost that didn't even stick out to me. Those it's like are over. grosser things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I think just like bo- like I mean, it is detailed gross. D- descriptions of body stuff always kind of gross me out. Like also the the word yeasty to describe the way something smells is like the most horrible thing I can think of i hate that word <laughs> that to me that is like the smell of a bread a, like a brewery yeah. Yeah. when you walk in yeah. like well they're like it's like a little dank sh- but her yeasty sheets mm. like, yeah no that's different that's i don't know about you need to sheets. get checked out I <laughs> or just like change your if sheets. you're having to use the word well yeah it's just the smell of like checked. sheets that haven't been washed in like two months probably yeah like that's what that smell is and like you know, I I do think that that if it serves a purpose, it's just you know constantly pointing out the like sense of decay that yeah. is mm-hmm. present in every aspect of her life. You know, her apartment is disgusting. Like the shop is disgusting. Everything is just like decaying and neglected and gross. And I will say that like Florida is gross. It's gross. <laughs> and like a lot of the one one thing that that did really work for, for me in this was a lot of the descriptions of very like Florida-esque things. And mm-hmm. like I am from Florida, so for me it was like and from Central Florida, which is where this takes place. Um not the beach honey. We don't get that. Um, <laughs> and you're not gross. <laughs> It's the swamp. I wouldn't describe uh, you as yeasty at all. You don't. You haven't been around me enough to know <laughs> in person. Um, I can. Like, I can you know, vouch. Her sheets are very yeasty. I mean, yeah, <laughs> they are. Uh, ev- you know, everything is hot and sticky, and mm-hmm. there's almost, especially when I think of like a Florida summer, there's this feeling of like nothing matters because everything is so hot and disgusting and like you are never gonna feel clean yeah so why even why bother Mm because like the second you go outside or even inside when it's like freezing but it's like you with the air conditioner you're like there's just this feeling of like oppressive heat and just yuckiness i just want to say that being from new orleans i can uh relate to that Yes. Yeah. So, like, any, you know, any swampy <laughs> hot place in the South. You know, Hattiesburg's um, not great either. Yeah. But yeah, then Florida felt, has the added, I felt yeasty you know, a lot when I lived there. <laughs> There's also just, like, Hattiesburg has a smell that happens sometimes. What's the smell? It's just the a collective yeast smell. smell of everyone, probably. Yeah. It's just Mary, a bad we need smell to start Hattiesburg sense. lit so people can know about our struggles. Yeah. <laughs> But also, there were lots of references to Publix. Yes. Yeah, appreciated. Um, I love Publix. <laughs> Kelly used to work yeah. at a Publix. I did. I don't know if we want to advertise I that. I don't know. That matters. I, mean, I used to actually you know go to the store. I, love I always Publix. chose Publix because it's so much better, and the people wor- that work there don't seem like they hate being there. 
Well, Publix actually has great benefits. Like I know, and that's there it's like time. if you pay your people well and like do things for them, they don't. So have to the title of this episode is uh, "Shout Out to Publix." <laughs> yeah, they all shout out to Publix. Really good I, sandwiches. <laughs> the pub subs. I I dream about them. I'm this not. This is even just kidding. a mini advertisement for Publix in the middle of our episode. I love Publix, <laughs> and I worked there. And I will not say that I enjoyed it. I hated it because I was a cashier. Like no one likes that. Yeah. Um. But I worked there for four years, and you know, it was it was pretty good as far as shitty jobs that you get in high school go. And like I said, they pay their workers. I mean, they paid them like minimum wage, but you could get raises pretty frequently. And also they like there's health insurance and you get like a 401k if you're a full time Publix employee and stuff like that, that like most places don't offer if they're like a minimum wage hourly job. So there you go. Shout out to pub licks. Um, okay. Anyway, <laughs> this has been Publix uh, Corner. <laughs> this has been this has been Publix Corner. Um, the Publix, the only thing about Florida that isn't gross. <laughs> the grossness reminded me of one of my first jobs. Like the parts that I found the grossest were the parts about the like disgusting like gas station food that they ate all the time. Oh my god! And like things being soggy or having too much cheese and um, really bad coffee with lots of grounds yeah that stuff actually was way grosser to me than like a lot of it um because i worked at the concession stand at a public pool when i was a teenager and like uh, all of that gross ass food like people would just leave around on the tables in the hot sun and i was like yikes and uh, yeah it's food stuff really grosses me out so we all found something to be grossed out by in this book it really hits. Something. Yeah. It really hits all the all the pressure points of. Does this disgust you? Not that. Okay. How about this? I how also this okay. I just want to shout out because I mentioned the period stuff. So there's a scene where um, Jessa and Lolly are playing Jenga and talking about period stories, and the period stories were gross, but also they were like eating cookies and getting like cookie grease all over the Jenga pieces. And that yeah. was described in like really great detail. And like, I found that really gross also. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's like they, it's like nothing matters to them. I actually kind of appreciated how like non grossly the period stuff was presented. Yeah. Like, yeah. Cuz I feel like periods are always yeah. talked about in such a way where it's like that's so disgusting. Yeah. It's like, well fuck, it's just a period. That's what I'm saying. Like the period, <laughs> the period stuff didn't bother me fun. as much as it was like the cookies were described no, in a I really gross way. The cookie grease. Yeah. yeah. Was not How do you fun. make cookies sound gross? But even like <laughs> the acknowledgement that like periods happen during sex sometimes yeah. and yeah. whoops. Like, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes period <laughs> happens during sex with you have your a body, so brother's wife. Things. No big deal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah having yeah. a body is just, it's weird. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's gross and sometimes whatever. Sometimes you have zits. Sometimes you sometimes pop you them. eat hot cheese. Hot cheese. Sometimes you bleed. Uh, okay. <laughs> so did anyone have any other thoughts on, like, why... The gross, or sh- should we move on? <laughs> like, We're just like, talking about what was gross and not why it was gross. Yeah, just like list. Well, like I mean, like I think we talked about disgust. why, and I think this kind of yeah. goes back to the thing that, like, this book 
is repetitive. And so like, it's, it's making a point. We kind of already discussed about what that discussed, what that point was. It's just making that same point over and over again, I think. Right. There was a reason for it. But again, I think Kelly, I like your short story idea. Thanks. That's like the best way to, to solve a lot of no- problems that novels have, I find. It's just like, don't make them a novel. <laughs> make it a short story. Yeah. I feel that way a lot about movies, too. Like, when I watched The Lighthouse, I was like, this should be a short film. Yeah. But that's another topic. It was a lot. Yeah. Harky Triton. <laughs> and also, to me, very repetitive. Very repetitive. Um, okay. So, moving on to my last topic, which is masculinity and vulnerability. So we eventually learn that Jess's father took his life because he didn't want to deal with being sick again um, or, you know, being sick after withdrawing from drugs. <laughs> um, it's a possibility. That's, that's one way to read this. You know, that's what it's I It's just would... because it happened periodically. Yeah. Right. Plus the conversations. But the periodic nature of that made me think he was on and off or something. Anyway, whatever. Um, not, so he didn't want to be sick again, not just the physical process of it, but the vulnerable, vulnerable position that it put him in. Um, and throughout we see that Jessa tends to emulate her father in her own approach to vulnerability, whereas her brother is the more compassionate and sensitive of the two of them, um, sort of like reversing our expectations of gender in that sense. Mm -hmm. And I found it pretty interesting given Jessa's queerness, Mm -hmm. like her kind of, like, leaning into the masculinity and leaning into relating to her father. Um, And I don't really have a good way of phrasing this as a question, but I just wanted to know you guys' thoughts on that. I agreed. I felt similarly, and I think I, um, very early in the novel, was, um, you know, just to show how gender bias, like, we're so used to gender bias and, like, gender roles in books that like I noticed right away when the father was like favoring Jessa when he was like teaching them taxidermy like in the first chapter right. like you get it very early on that like clearly he's planning on handing this business down to her right um and sees her as like the natural at it and he's like and he never gets interested in the business like mm-hmm. um so Milo. Yeah, Milo, sorry, not the father. The father's clearly interested <laughs> in the business. Um, but Milo's yeah. not interested in anything. Yeah, that's true, true also. At all. Um, Except for Bryn. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, but I don't know that I have anything to add. I just want to say that I, I agreed and like I was noticing that as I read as well. So I don't know that that's very like helpful. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is another part for me that at the end, became a little too like look now i'm vulnerable like yeah and like i mean it happened after the fire and then jessa like basically has a realization that she should go talk to her mom and listen to her and help her then she tries to talk to milo then she goes back to lucinda and they have vulnerable sex in a bed, yeah. <laughs> which they never did before, I guess. They don't have sex, Susan. They make love. Ugh. Sorry. Sorry. They make love. Um, and she was just like, and then I opened up. It's like, wow. Yeah. That was easy. I feel like 
Did you just also quit drinking cold turkey? Because some of that seems to be blocking you <laughs> from doing yeah. these things. Like I don't know. It just felt like too easy all at once to unlearn so much of that. But it, yeah. I just read 350 pages of repeating. And, and let alone, uh, I would be remiss not to mention that she accomplished this without therapy. Mm-hmm. Because nobody in this book is in therapy, and everybody it. in this book. Well, that's why I mentioned there. the drinking because it's clearly like a self-medicating, yeah, mechanism. Yeah. I mean, that's they, not really going to help. At one point, they talked to their mom about going to therapy. Mm-hmm. But she, yeah, but they won't go. Yeah, <laughs> it's, some, <laughs> it's something like, like she mom, needs. Mom they don't go. need it. Yeah, mom and clearly mom has a problem. Seems to be dealing with stuff the best. <laughs> yeah, mom yeah. is the only one who's like, actually like her mom is doing her, her own life. art therapy. Yeah, yeah. she's yeah. just processing through very normal art. That's normal. <laughs> Honestly, that art sounded great to me. Yeah, and. I would love to see I it. I mean, though, I could understand, like, you know, the whole thing about, so she's, one of the things with this art is she's, like, deconstructing these taxidermy animals. And I could see right. how, like, Jessa might be like, hey, I worked real hard on those, though. Yeah, and, like, Dad worked <laughs> hard on those, and he's yeah. gone, and that's, like, one of the only, right. like, he, like, that was his pride and joy in his life, and, like, right. so I, that's I what we have left. Right, so I could see why that part of it would have Dismantle the her. patriarchy. Yeah. 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 No, I, I get it. I just think that, like, she wasn't she, – she was really focusing on – and I guess this is what people do sometimes is, like, when something bothers them, they don't realize, like, the actual reason it bothers them. They sort of focus on other things. And so she was, like, really honing in on the fact that it's, like, dad didn't like talking about sex and you're making this stuff about sex and it's weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, I was, like, yeah, that is – not the issue here if there's an issue you know i will say just like related to that there was a moment where the i think it was the mom said something that i feel very deeply as someone who has like lost somebody very close to me like i think jessa tells the mom like well dad wouldn't have won a blah 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 and the mom's like who cares he's not here yeah and like i think about that all like because people say that when people die they're like well he wouldn't have won a blah 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 and i'm like Right. Don't really, like, I can't live my life thinking about what a dead person would or wouldn't have wanted. Yeah. So I I felt that very deeply because you hear that a lot when somebody dies. Yeah. Like, suddenly, like, if you're dead, everything you want is, like, the be-all, end-all. We should do it that way. And does anyone really know? No. It's all speculation anyway. (laughs) And I do do think – I guess to sort of like wrap things up on a sem like a more positive note about this book, <laughs> I do think that uh, it it does deal with grief and like the different forms of grief, whether it's like losing someone to death or losing someone because they left you or you know it like grief is really like messy and yeah. like people say there's like stages of grief and it's like that's not necessarily the case. Like it doesn't always go in order. Like it doesn't you know. And and sometimes it stalls and people don't deal with it and or people deal with it in all these weird different ways. And, you know, I appreciated that, like, it explores a lot of the different ways, like, that people can, like, hurt themselves because of grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess we should rate this. I'll go first. Um, I am going to give it a three. Uh, honestly, like, I'm pretty disappointed in this book. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, you know, it, this is my pick, obviously, and, like, I was really excited to read it because mm-hmm. it, it, like, ticks a lot of boxes for me. Like, Florida being one, um, I like weird shit, so I thought the taxidermy thing sounded, like, quirky and interesting. I like dysfunctional family stories. I like character-driven stories. And, like, you know, as a as a recently, like, discovering my own queerness person, um, I have been, like, looking to read more queer fiction, and I was, like, really excited that that this was kind of, like, close in some ways to my own personal experience um, about Florida and everything. But, yeah, I just felt like it was lacking um, in a lot of areas, and I just, like, had higher expectations, I think, and I um, – I don't know. I just wish it – I wish I had liked it more. I really wanted to like it. Yeah. I spent a lot of reading it wanting to like it more. And I didn't hate it. And I don't – I just – I don't know. Like, if I'm really honest with myself, I'd probably give it, like, a two and a half. Um, but I'm going to give it a three just because I'm like, it. you know, it wasn't awful. Yeah. I yeah. gave um, it the same thing. I gave it a three, too. Because it – wasn't awful. Yeah. <laughs> but I didn't love it. Yeah. Yeah. I would re- really consider before recommending it to someone, I, it would have to be like situationally. I would not yeah. recommend this to somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would either. Um, I guess it depends. Yeah. On the person. Um. I've been kind of torn b- between a two and a three, and I haven't really chosen. Yeah. I think I'm I think I'm going to give it a three because I feel a lot like Kelly in that I had higher expectations for it. And I actually, for the first, I don't know, 7,500 pages or so, I was, like, pretty in. And yeah, same. I think, though, once you get past that, not a lot of new ground is tread. Yeah. And so yeah. then it gets to be kind of, of a trudge. Yeah. 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 Um, It's it's pretty repetitive. However, um, I wouldn't have, like, DNF'd it or something. Um, I know Emily said she would have because of the animal abuse, but <laughs> I wouldn't Absolutely. have because on a – like stylistically I really liked a lot of the I think this is like a poetry thing where like I can like really like something on a word level (laughs) not a sentence level a word level (laughs) where like there's just a lot of like I thought the environmental a lot of good words (laughs) stuff was well written even some of the gross stuff like I said so I think actually think some of these chapters would have worked better as poems. <laughs> so maybe we could extract a short story and then some poems. Um, yeah. The setting I, was strong for sure. So it, it's not like, I, I don't think it was like poorly written, but overall, like I did not get everything I wanted from it. Yeah. So. I feel like you guys are making me go three. last <laughs> because you know that my rating is going to be the lowest. 
<laughs> no, I just started talking because no one was talking. <laughs> um, so let me explain because I did already rate this on Goodreads. Let me explain. Let me explain. <laughs> let me explain why I gave it a one star. Oh, you 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 peeped you peeped my Goodreads review. <laughs> okay, so let me explain. Um, for me, like. It, this is absolutely not my kind of book. Um, and so for me, on a personal level, it's a one star. However, for other people, I think it's a three star. Like, if I were thinking about this objectively, like, let me think about how this book works as a book. Three stars. For me, how does it work for me as, like, a reading experience? Um, it's got a lot of, like, oh, no-nos for me, which I talked to Kelly about earlier. Um, that would probably have made me put it down. I'm not going to get into all of them, but just like the main ones are, um, <laughs> including, but not limited to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the I, following. <laughs> I do have a couple of like pulls out a triggering scroll. things that I avoid when I'm like reading books for pleasure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can read past triggers if I have to read something for like school or for work, but, for me, like on a pleasurable level, it's not pleasurable for me, as I said, to like read about animal cruelty and animal violence. Um, and I have trouble reading about sibling relationships. Um, it just do, it's just really hard for me. So like, obviously like I have to read about sibling relationships all the time. It's easier for me when it's not like the, a central plot. Um, and it's easier for me when I'm liking other things about the story, but when I'm not, (laughs) and then I have to keep like reading about a sibling relationship, it's hard for me, uh, for listeners, if you don't know why that is, my brother died. Um, and so like reading about two siblings that, I mean, their relationship was weird, but overall, like there was even one point where she was like, I don't know how I could get through any of this without my brother. That's really hard for me to read Mm -hmm. just on a personal level. It's hard for me to read things like that. Reading about siblings who don't talk to each other or, like, one that's dead, I can deal with that all day. But siblings that, like, have a relationship together, I cannot. Um, So, but those are just personal things. And, like, I know, like, as a, like, as a book reviewer, I would rate differently. But Goodreads is, like, my personal account where I rate things on, like, my experience. And so that's why I gave it one star for my personal experience. Um... But as a book review, I would give it three stars. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. Also, yeah. I was going to hope in that list you were – it was love triangles. I, I thought – Oh. Persona, <laughs> <laughs> so love triangles. Oh, yeah. Let I me mean, like like I said, this wasn't links. an exhaustive list. There were several things that I was just like, this is <laughs> yeah. a no, no, no. But, the um, word yeasty. Uh, yeasty <laughs> is not on my That's own no, no list, actually. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, maybe – one day. The title of the episode is Yeasty Sheets. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> no one <yeah>. will listen. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. <laughs> I also think it was kind of, this is a weird time to read almost anything. Yeah. That isn't like directly about like what's happening in the world for me. Because like I read like the first half of that like before before we recorded our last episode, which was like this, it was either the same day or the day after George Floyd was killed. So yeah, it was the day after. It was like that might have been another reason why. Like for the first half, I was like, okay, whatever. I'm just quarantined and I'm bored. 
And then since then, it's been like. Yeah. But I mean, I, it is pride time. So. It is pride. It is. Again, I just feel, I feel so like distracted. I can't even like think of the fun things. Speaking of queer literature, mm, the good just as a heads up, Kelly and I are playing a new series. Oh, yeah. Yay. A new blog series. A new Something blog series. To give me hope. Um, we don't have an official name yet, but it's... Something along the lines of Lesbian Book Club. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like, Queer Girl Book Club. Yeah, Queer Girl Book Club, because I don't oh, want, man. you know, I, I don't was... want my pan and bisexual girls to feel left out. I was out. hoping yeah. it was going to be, like, my favorite poster I've seen, which was, Sounds Gay, I'm In. Oh, so. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, basically, <laughs> we don't have more details on it yet. You will just have to wait and see what happens with that. Cause you know, blogs, yeah. blogs have been paused for a minute and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later. Maybe we'll call the series girl on girl. Yeah. Mm. Girl on girl on girl on girl. Girl on girl, girl and with girl. Kelly and Emily. On also. girl on girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, write Same in TV your TV. ideas. We're, we're open to hearing your suggestions. No, I think I think we got it. Oh, okay. Never mind. We're <laughs> no, done. We you it. can write in, but we're not going to listen. No one's going to write in about that. <laughs> so on that note, let's completely changed topics. Um, I did think, so as I'm deciding how to put what interviews on what episodes, I do try to pair them somewhat. Um, and I do think that this book will appeal if, if you like character driven stories set in small towns. Um, this one also has like a little bit of a mystery in it. Uh, so yeah, here's a, here's a little brief, Synopsis, not synopsis, but brief little blurb about um, Lost at Sea by Erica Boyce. Um, when beloved local fisherman John Staybrook is lost at sea, his death stirs up more than grief. Hidden secrets throughout the small community begin to bubble to the surface, and everyone from the local librarian to the nurses at the hospital are swept up in the storm. So, um, yes, here is my interview with Erica Boyce. Ta da! Yay! I am talking to Erica Boyce about her book, Lost at Sea, which has just come out this March 2020. Um, Erica, thank you so much um, for agreeing to speak with me. And at this point, you might have a new friend, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yes. Hopefully. God. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm due February 25th. So hopefully by the time this airs, um, my our first child will be here so that's thank you really so much for exciting. having me <laughs> yeah so we're doing this interview a little bit early um because we're thinking in march uh you might be a little busy and so <laughs> <laughs> a little bit yeah there's a few things going on <laughs> right um so lost at sea i want to talk a little bit about this book in terms of your work and how your job might have informed this story a little bit. I'm seeing some crossover mm -hmm. there potentially. Do you want to talk about that yep. a little bit? 
Sure. So um, back in 2013, um, I started working uh, for an organization on Cape Cod here in Massachusetts called the Cape Cod Commercial Fishermen's Alliance. Um, and we did a lot of um, it was sort of like community organizing work that I was focusing on um, with the fishermen, small boat fishermen in that area, um, local uh, fishermen. And since then, um, continued to work in the fisheries space. It's a little bit what I do now is a little bit different and a little more um, focused on organizations across the country rather than so local. But that time that I spent uh, working with fishermen on the Cape really influenced me a lot. I mean, they, they have those guys and they're mostly guys um, have a lot of stories. They deal with a lot of crap in their day to day work. Um, and I really sort of wanted to write something that um, respected that and also focused on um, their families back home. Uh, just, you know, most of the work I did was with the fishermen directly, but, you know, always trying to call the fishermen to get them to come to a meeting. Half the time I would end up having end up talking to the wife and, you know, um, that was sort of an interesting, uh, dynamic too. There's, I mean, I can't even, um, really fathom living that sort of life married to someone who does something, does such a dangerous job. That's also, um, you know, so sort of, I guess, fundamental to the identity of that part of the world. So, right. um, so yeah, so it was, it was very influential. I really wanted to make sure I was doing, you know, the best I could to respect them and their work and not make it clear that, and also make it clear that I would was not specifically writing about anyone that I, that I worked with when I was there. Um, but more, in, more generally about, um, that sort of group of folks. So, um, it was, it, it was really, like, um, a very involved job and, you know, I'm reading this just wondering, and I'm sure people ask you this all the time, like how you find time to write when you have a <laughs> job that is so full time, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I only started really writing when I sw- when I sort of transitioned to this job that I have now, um, which is actually, um, I work from home now, which previously I didn't live on the Cape when I was working on Cape Cod. So there was a really long commute and it was <laughs> really long days. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the car thinking about writing, but um, mm-hmm. never really got around to it. But then um, once I got this opportunity to start working from home, it became a lot easier to, um, you know, set some time aside to just, even if I didn't get any writing done that day, at least I had time to think about it, um, which, you know, is part of the whole uh, process of writing half the time you're not actually writing right. you're, just you're just staring at the computer <laughs> yeah right being like what did what was I thinking why did I think this was a good idea <laughs> um, well, I, can, but, yeah. I can definitely see how doing this job if, especially like driving a lot you would have a lot of time mm-hmm. to think about writing about this kind of topic so yeah it's funny I feel like I do like most of my brainstorming in the car which is Harder to do now that I work from home and don't spend that much time in the car anymore. But yeah, um, it's just definitely have to start good. going on drives, I guess. For your yeah, Facebook. exactly. <laughs> to get my baby to fall asleep. <laughs> yes, I hear that works. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
So this book, it's told from several perspectives. Um, mm-hmm. How did you decide to tell the story from these multiple perspectives? And this is something that I find fascinating because some sometimes you read a book from multiple perspectives and it feels like the same person mm-hmm. ta- talking to you in every perspective. Um, I actually brought this up recently on the podcast that a certain book we were reading, I was like, this is a great book, but it's told from multiple perspectives, but I feel like it's the same person over and over again. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I guess this is several questions all wrapped into one. So feel (laughs) free to whatever. So first part of the question is how did you decide to write the book in this way? Um, And then how do you keep each of those perspectives different as you're writing them? Yeah. So uh, for the first part, I, my first book was also written from different perspectives. And I don't know, maybe I just don't have the attention span to write a whole book <laughs> from one perspective. Um, but for this book, I really, I sort of wanted it to be about the whole community and about the women in this community in particular. Um, and so from that perspective, I I, um, I sort of set out to be like, okay, well, who are the people in this community and how would their lives intersect? And um, how can we, how, how can you tell one continuous story from all these different people's perspectives? Um, I also really enjoy reading books like that, where like all the different storylines sort of come together from all these different people. It's sort of like weirdly like life affirming, even though I'm total introvert and, <laughs> and sort of in my real life, I like, you know, being by myself. But when I read, it's sort of cool to see like all these different mm-hmm. people coming together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the second part, that is really hard. <laughs> it's it's so hard to get different voices for different people um, when you're the only person who's writing it. Um, it was like I, I guess it's sort of like one of the main challenges I guess for me in writing both of my books was making sure that all the voices sounded different. And one thing that I did was like because I actually physically printed out the manuscript and broke it out by um, by who the narrator, or not quote unquote narrator, who the focus of the of that <clears throat> chapter was, so that I could sort of string read read one person's chapters all together and be mm-hmm. like, does this sound like the same person, and does this set sound different from this person, um, this set of chapters? So, which involved a lot of reading and reading and rereading and a lot of red pen. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but yeah, it's hard. I mean, yeah, I think the hardest thing is like when you're writing, you have certain idiosyncrasies to your writing that you're not even aware of. And I'm sure as you're reading your own work over and over again, you start becoming hyper aware of those things. Yeah. 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 There's like certain, uh, there's certain things that like, even I miss, like, I think when I first sent it to my critique partner to read, she was like, um, the detail about like the door clicking shut is great, but you mention it like five different times in the space of five chapters. Yeah. So like certain little things just like completely slip through the cracks, yeah. um, which is like critique partners are great. <laughs> um, Absolutely. So yeah, it's, you think you're writing by yourself, but it's actually yeah. better if you have somebody look yeah. at it a little bit. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think 
I mean, obviously I'm asking because I thought you did a really good job of it. Um, and I know that that's not easy. So yeah, that's, that's cool. That seems like a lot of work, but it seems like it was, it paid off. So thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so I do want to talk about, um, mental health, mental illness, um, because Mm -hmm. I know that that's important to you and it's been something that you've explored in both of your novels. Um, so talk about from the original email that I got, I got the impression that you have your own experiences with OCD specifically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, two of the, and I'm asking about OCD specifically, like obviously because you write about it, but also two of the people who are on our podcast also have OCD. So it's oh, something really? that it's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast before. And it's something that, um, I think often gets misrepresented. I know um, Susan who's on our podcast talks about how much she hates it when people are like, well, I'm a little OCD about (laughs) X, Y, Z. Cause it's like, you can't be a little OCD. Like that's not how that works. Right. Um, Right. And also I'm a total slob. So having that, (laughs) (laughs) like, well, that's not exactly right for me. But so I mean, yeah. obviously, speak about it however you feel comfortable talking about it. But mm-hmm. just kind of wanted to hear a little bit about your own experiences with that and why it was so important for you to write about it. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, so I have OCD and um, GAD, generalized anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, was diagnosed when I was in college, so almost ten years ago now, I guess. Um, And I think the thing that sort of strikes me the most about like misrepresentations of mental illnesses in the media is it's actually pretty damaging because, you know, for me personally, I never even thought to really get like go to a therapist and get diagnosed because I was like, well, I can't have OCD because literally I'm I'm like a mess. Everything like I'm not neat. So I don't fit that stereotype and it's not real. That's not really what, that's not like the core of OCD. It's not about like, you know, eating M&Ms in the right order or whatever. That's not really what it's about. It's about, you know, these intrusive thoughts or whatever, you know, there, there is something deeper than that. And those, those are the things that I, before I got diagnosed, just thought was sort of my personality like it was just something that I had to live with um which is sort of a crappy way to live like you're sort of trapped you sort of feel trapped in your brain like this is my brain is messed up and that's just the way it is like I know other people don't think this way but there's nothing I can do about it but then once you get once I got my diagnosis it was sort of freeing in a way because it was like okay here's something that first of all other people do have and other people know how to deal how to live with and how to deal and you know I could sort of see a path forward through through that and so one of the things that I really wanted to do in my writing was try as much as possible um, to be accurate and true to what those experiences are like and it's a lot harder to do with a mental illness that you don't specifically have um, which is why you know, sensitivity readers and things like that can be so helpful. Um, so that was one part of it. Another part of it was, I feel like a lot of times um, in the media, if someone has like if someone in a book 
or a movie or whatever has a mental illness, that is their defining characteristic. Like the whole book is either about like that person struggling with the mental illness or, you know, the people around them struggling with the fact that this other person has mental illness or whatever, struggling with the fallout. But the reality is that for most, I think I think it's probably safe to say, for most people with a mental illness, it's it's a complicating factor to their day-to-day life, but it's not their complete identity. Like their whole identity isn't based around having this illness. I mean, if that were your whole identity, it would sort of suck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's really the most fun part of yourself, um, for me at least. Um so I really wanted to also write characters that had full lives outside of this and that mental illness is definitely a part of their lives. That's been, it's not something that just goes away. They just forget about, but it's also not, you know, the defining moment of every single day of their lives. Um, <clears throat> so that's sort of been my mission statement. It's hard to do. And I don't know. I'm, Sure. Sometimes I do it better than others. Um, and sometimes I'm not as, as successful at it because it can be such a, like, it's, it's sort of like a, an interesting thing to explore through writing. So like, you don't want to spend too much time on it, but you want to like give it, you know, enough space to be complete and a full representation. Um, but all in all, you know, I think that's my end goal is to write characters that had mental illnesses that is definitely a part of them, but it's not the whole them. Right. So you talked about um, having sensitivity readers. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I I guess the the next thing I was going to ask is how, what sort of efforts do you make as you're writing to make sure you're getting it right? And I guess that's part of that answer. Yep. Um, I don't know if yeah. there's anything else. Sensitivity readers definitely was key. Um, you know, just in general, making sure that there was a plot that wasn't <laughs> just about um, the mental illness was another part of it. But yeah, I got, um, I had a sensitivity reader for the second one who um, was mostly actually focused on the adoption mm-hmm. side of things because that's just something that I don't personally have any experience with um but he also had some background um with the mental illnesses that were in this book so he helped me out a little bit with that and then for the first book um I had one of my friends who also has OCD read it and just make sure that you know the things that I feel about that mental illness are not just you know idiosyncratic to me which like to some extent would be okay. Like if it's just my experience with OCD, then that's somewhat okay. But like, I also mm-hmm. just wanted to make it, you know, relatable to other people who have this right. um, condition. So definitely having other, other eyes on it again, you know, just like with getting the voices right. Um, always having other people take a look at it is helpful. Yeah. Um, I feel like you probably, uh, read a lot about mental illness and other books yep. about mental illness to prepare as well. Um, mm-hmm. So what are some other books that you read that you feel like 
got it right. I don't think we don't need to focus on the books that did a, a bad <laughs> job, you know? And yeah, right. <laughs> maybe we can talk about some of the books that you think did a good job of it. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Let's see. I So I really liked um, Everything Here is Beautiful by... Um, crap. I'm going to look up her name just so I don't get it wrong. Um, I think I know it, but I... <laughs> want to make, yeah, I don't want I don't want to say it and then be wrong. Yeah, by Myra Tuli. Um I enjoyed that. I thought it was a good um I thought it was a great representation. I mean, not I didn't have the same mental illness that the person in that book did, but it was a good um you know, example of she mm-hmm. It was a big part of the plot, but it wasn't the entire plot. Um it wasn't this woman's entire life. Um, which I thought was great. Um, let's see what else, you know, everything here is beautiful is always the one that I sort of like am drawn toward, but there's a lot of, I think especially like there's some good books, um, featuring, uh, people with depression that are good too. Um, my personal experience with depression again, isn't, isn't quite as, extensive as it is with OCD um but OCD also I I feel like there aren't that many Mm. uh books I mean I feel like OCD is sort of such seen as such like a quirky thing that yeah doesn't often become like a big part of a character in a book um it's just like it's just a side piece I guess um but oh, let's see. So it, would be, it would be easier to talk about the books that don't do a good job of it than <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> but I feel nervous about naming them by name. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. You don't worry about it. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I mean, I think I think also like outside of the book world, there's also some TV shows that have been doing a really good job of it too lately. Um. Like, uh, <clears throat> you're the worst is, was, I thought did a great job with depression. And I know there's a lot of articles written about it and, um, shameless too. Um, they have a character with bipolar disorder on that, um, which I thought was really great. Um, just in general, I guess, I guess pro- probably on TV shows, it's easier to make multiple plot lines going on at the same time. So it's never about one thing really. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Whereas in a book, like it's sort of hard to to make it that well rounded, I guess. Um, but that is not what you asked about. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I mean, TV shows. That's good too. I watch TV. It's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, we can move on. That's that's fine. Uh, <laughs> oh wait. Uh, so I do have one more actually that I read yeah. recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Again, I'm going to sort of pull it up so I get the name and the author right. Um. It was Take Me Apart by Sarah Swagger. Mm. Um, it was an advanced copy, um, which is one of the perks of being an author is that sometimes you get to read things before they come out. Yeah. Um, but she did a great, she had a great moment in there. Um, and I don't know really the, the author's background, but I thought she did a great job. She had like one moment in there about throwing the word bipolar around um, mm. in this character had bipolar disorder 
And, uh, you know, it's similar to OCD, like people throw that term around a lot and it's not at all yeah. what it, what it means. Um, so that was another one that I read recently, um, that I really sort of like underlined <laughs> that part was like, yes. Um, so, you know, the whole, the whole book is about her sort of solving this mystery. And as you're reading it, you can sort of, cause it's written from this woman's perspective, you can sort of see her starting to um, decline, not decline, but like sort of go into an episode, um, bipolar episode, which is, I thought was really well done. And she did it without like calling out, like as it was happening, it wasn't like super obvious that it was happening, but you know, um, you were, I really enjoy books that sort of put you in that mindset. So you can sort of understand, um, better where people with mental illnesses are coming from um yeah. where it, it doesn't it doesn't seem <laughs> it doesn't seem like you're you know going through something terrible at the time like it's just because that's to me that is pretty accurate it's like all of a sudden i'll wake up one day and be like wow i've been having a really hard time with my ocd and i totally didn't realize it um until you know i Google the same thing 800 times in the space of a day or whatever. Um, <clears throat> so I, I like books that are written from that perspective, um, but it can be really hard to do without, um, again, making it totally about the mental illness. Okay. Um, so I have a fun question next. <laughs> um not that those questions weren't fun. I'm sure they were <laughs> great. But so I read in your bio that you love adjectives. Yes. Yep. What are some of your favorite <laughs> adjectives right now? It do, these don't have to be your favorite of all time because that seems like a lot. Um, yeah. It's just like what's hitting you right now? Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> Let's see. Um, <laughs> so one of – I really like um, – um, Perspicacious, and I'm gonna say it wrong because it's I'm one of I'm one of those people who like kids who like read a lot but didn't really talk a lot. So like <laughs> a lot of the words are not actually <laughs> pronounced the way that I think they should be. But perspicacious, okay, I really like. I actually used that in um like a cover letter once to get an internship in college and I had my mom read the cover letter she was like yeah don't use that word <laughs> you're, you're like this is hired. the word that's gonna get me the job mom okay yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no I, so I I listened to her and cut it out which is probably a good idea but I just like I I like that it just sounds like the word that it is like it it has the it almost has the word like perspective in it, which is all about like, you know, having it, if you Google it, which I did to make sure I was getting the pronunciation right. It's like having an understanding of things, which mm -hmm. is what perspective is all about. So I love, I've, I've been really enjoying that adjective for apparently since college. <laughs> <laughs> and I just got to finally pull it out. So <laughs> thank you for the opportunity. There you go. <laughs> because but again, I don't. Pro I probably couldn't use it in my writing without getting it cut by several people. So, <laughs> well, you know, I had never heard it before. So there you go. I learned a new word today. 
Um, yeah, ex- extreme nerd ver- version of word of the day. Calendar. <laughs> um. So what's up next for you besides having a baby? <laughs> you got any <laughs> book projects? Or is this going to take up much of your time now? <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping to be able to, So I thought this really... Um, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to write like a book a year and this year I'm going to write another book and whatever. And that totally went out the window. Um, you know, once being pregnant started to be really uncomfortable. <laughs> um, so my hope, I, I'm hoping to outline something by the end of this year. Um, and I do have an idea for it. Um, but I, if I could, I sort of set my sights a little bit lower thinking like maybe having a kid and a job and yeah. writing a whole book. Space of a year is not going to happen, but um, really hoping to get uh, back into it uh, and have something at least sort of roughly framed out by the end of the year. So that's the plan, anyway. I think that that's a good plan. (laughs) You know, it seems like having a new kid might take up some time. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't really know either, but (laughs) that's what I hear anyway. Okay, last question. Um, we uh, on this podcast are really big pet people. Do you have any pets? Do I? Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a corgi um, that I'm obsessed with. Um, so. You're like, I have a child. It's not just yeah, a pet. <laughs> I do understand this is not my first child that we gave birth to. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a corgi. He's he's four years old now um and he's basically the love of my life which is we're recording this right after valentine's day it's probably not the most romantic thing to say but it's okay because it's he's the love of my husband's life too so yeah (laughs) my husband and i are that way with our cats so i get it for sure yeah 90 i think 90 percent of the conversations we have now are like through the dog you know we like talking (laughs) yep super i know how that is yeah (laughs) well thank you so much for talking with me today I really appreciate it I love the opportunity to read your book um really looking forward to see what you do next um thank you so thanks so much um yeah yeah so much this is awesome that was great I always love a good Loved a it. good interview. Um, just a little background. Uh, Erica and I had to do this interview a while ago because Erica just had a baby. So we did this interview okay. back in February. So if you're wondering, like, why aren't they talking about anything currently going on? You know, this was back in February before. Things were different. 2020 Damn. went to complete hell. So that's why. This was in February, <laughs> seven years ago. Yeah. February 2020, which we all know was a decade ago. So, yes. Um, but yes, thank you, Erica, so much. And uh, yeah, cool. Yay. Um, so, we have a little bit of listener feedback from our pal Darcy in Wyoming. She has been in quarantine reading up a storm going through our back catalog. Um, so, she has some feedback for Fruit of the Drunken Tree which she says was both entertaining and somewhat informative. 
I loved Chula as the voice and Patrona. I have been to Brazil, so reading about Colombia was thrilling, and finding out at the end of the book that many experiences were true gave me goosebumps. I gave it a three because it felt somewhat slow, but then I changed it to four the more I thought about it. I'm glad I read it. I love a book that that gets higher in your estimation the more you think about it, you know? That happens to me all the time, really. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, and then she wrote us about Here I Am, boy. our first book ever. Boy, oh boy. <laughs> she back Taking it back Andy. to the old school. Yeah. I know. So she said, interesting. I'm glad I read it, but I'm glad I read it, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> I didn't like all the sex and masturbation. <laughs> you know, I really, about the masturbation, not a fan of those portions of that book either. Uh, she says, I give it a three. Uh... I wanted to give it a two, but since Mary upped hers to three, I did too. I probably wouldn't now. <laughs> she was being nice back then. We've gotten tougher in our old age, so. Emily just gave a book a one, so. I remember there being a lot of butthole stuff. Yeah. Never oh my god, that sentence. was the book with my favorite sentence in it, about yeah. shoving the burrito into your face orifice. And then I tried else. to make a reference to a butthole in relation to the face, and nobody was getting into it, so. <laughs> memories memories y'all good times uh, memories <laughs> um and then she had a question for susan which is when did you convert to convert to judaism i um started the process at the end the very end of 2014 and i converted at the beginning of 2016 um so i've been practicing since 2014 i guess didn't you do awesome. a blog about that like way I back did, in the day. Yes, a sep- separate from yeah any book squad goal stuff. I blogged partially during the conversion process, and then I also um, had a cup and one or two essays published um, on like reformjudaism.org's blog. <laughs> so <laughs> I've written about it a few times, but yeah, if you really want to read those, Darcy. <laughs> I don't know if you do or not. <laughs> They're from a while back, but I'm happy to email them to you. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks for asking. And then she says, lastly, ladies, Grease 2 was just stupid, but I would sing those <laughs> songs blaring in my car. I know, lame, but so fun. My favorite song was Reproduction. 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 Reproduction this is this is in response to my to in our first episode i talked about the blog post i wrote about how much i hate this too and now it's the worst movie of all time and listen you guys the other weekend i almost was forced to watch it a third time Why? and i escaped like very closely from watching it because i was like watching with my same group of friends where we always watch dumb shit together we were like watching over zoom or whatever and like they were like oh my god jason hasn't seen grease too because that was like one of our other friends in the group and this is the same person Devin, who made me watch it the first time <laughs> and then somehow we ended up watching it a second time i think Devin I likes how. this movie she loves – she grew up watching it uh, and, like, loved it. Me too. And she was like, we watched Grease 2 more than Grease 1 in my household. And what? I was like, well, your household sucks. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> Darcy, I have a podcast episode recommendation for you. Um, how did this get made? Yes. How did this get made? <laughs> covers Grease 2. Um, there's plenty of talk about the songs. I'm pretty positive they talk about reproduction. But they do. <laughs> um, they're torn on this because – 
the the queen of the podcast, June Diane Raphael, loves this movie. It's her favorite movie from growing up. She watched it all the time. So you can get both perspectives in there. Um, you might enjoy that episode. <laughs> My God. <laughs> Speaking of the blog, uh, we have nothing. Nothing on the blog right now. We just figured it was it was a time to shut uh, the fuck up and let other people shut the talk. fuck up. Yeah. 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 Well said. Um. But in the coming, not J.K. Rowling. That's not no. who we wanted to talk. But she's talking anyway. No, yeah. Sorry. She, yeah. Just decided, she should shut the fuck up the most. <laughs> she decided not only to talk about this during, you know, a a Black Lives Matter like uprising occurring throughout the country, but also during Pride. Yeah, yeah. Like the yeah. time to talk ab- the time to talk about your transphobia is, is never. never. Yeah, but especially not. Especially not now. And it was like, um, we had all just kind of tried to shove that last tweet that she tweeted a year ago, like, to the side. Like, maybe she'd learn from that. But she wanted to make it clear in no uncertain terms. Yeah, she quadrupled down on it. Yeah, anyway, I'm sorry. I, like, we're just very upset about this. That's why it keeps coming Did you hear up. that just now? No. Yeah, I did. It was Edward's opinion Edward. about JK. Edward hates, he was like, hates JK. He said... He said, "Did he hiss?" Rights. Yeah, he exactly. Went, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry. I'm, hiss, but... <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kelly. Um, I just had to say something else about no. JK that's okay. Again. That's okay. Um, so anyway, uh, let's talk about how we are going to try to be better people um, instead of worse, like J.K. Rowling. <laughs> 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 Next time on the podcast. Uh, in light of recent events, we have decided to make a last-minute change to our schedule. Um, we were going to talk about Shirley, the new movie on Hulu starring Elizabeth Moss as Shirley Jackson. But instead, we will be writing a blog post about that so that we can talk about Ibram X. Kendi's Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America. This book is available in audiobook format for free via where, Emily? Spotify. Spotify. <laughs> so we encourage you to listen along or read along if that's more your speed and tune in for our discussion on June 29th. There's also, if you're more of a YA type person, Ibram X. Kendi um, actually, re- well, he calls it, re- they say the it's remix. a remix of um, the, no- the, y'all, I cannot, it's a remix of the book, the book. for YA audiences. <laughs> Um, so I'm very curious about that. I actually ordered a copy, but it's like backordered everywhere. So I don't know exactly when it's going to come, but if that's more your speed, if you like YA, um, Jason Reynolds is a wonderful author as well. And I'm really curious to see what that book is like, um, too. So yeah, yeah. it's gotten very good reviews. Um, and then for our next, um, book episode, we are, um, talking about The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates in uh, traditional uh, format. I have not started reading this yet, so I know very little about it. I do I'm know that. I'm excited about it. I'm very excited about it. Um, I th- This is another author. Like I've ordered some of his nonfiction as well, and that is also on back order right now because nonfiction about anti-racism is very popular at the moment. Um, but I do have... The Water Dancer already. Um, it is fiction, 
Um, I know that it's historical fiction. I know that there's some magical realism elements. Um, I know that friend of the pod, Saeed, specially requested that we discuss this book. And because he specially requested this book, we are going to have him back as a guest. Uh, Saeed was on our podcast previously when we discussed The Lion King last summer. So um, it's summertime again, so we're inviting him back. He's our summer guest, apparently. Uh, (laughs) But we're really excited to have him back, and I'm very excited to talk about this book. So, yeah. Yeah, me too. Can I make a small announcement? Yeah, please. I don't know how much this would interest anyone, but... On June 26th, <laughs> I'm getting married. Yay! Yay! To Ty, Yay! who's been on our podcast several times at this point. Many times. Um, <laughs> we are getting married in a tiny family-only ceremony. So it's basically just going to be our parents and grandmas and, like, a couple of siblings. Um, not even all the siblings are going to be able to be there. So, because nobody can come, we are actually planning to stream our ceremony on Instagram Live. I don't know if anyone listening would want to tune in, but you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> yes. My handle on Instagram is at the favorite NPC, and you can tune in June 26th at 1 Eastern. Yeah. I'll be there. See, I'll be there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll come, come attend a wedding with us, everyone. Yeah, yeah. It'll be fun. Dress up, wear something. It's gonna be fun. I'm happy (laughs) our grandmas are gonna get to be there because they're really important to us. And Todd's sister is actually officiating. So, aw, yay! Cool. That's awesome. Can't wait for that. Um, if you have feedback, comments, questions about uh mostly dead things or anything else we've talked about mary's wedding yes or or in our first episode feedback about mary's wedding (laughs) comments about todd you want to talk about my dress or yeah (laughs) anything at all um you can email us at the squad at booksquadgoals.com uh you can visit our website at booksquadgoals.com where you can also find our blog you forgot to mention they cannot email us about our book club name that's the one thing oh. you can't email us about. Yeah, you can't because we already have it. It's girl and girl on girl on girl. <laughs> um, so Quadruple you can follow G. us on social media <laughs> at Book Squad Goals on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, please subscribe to us on any podcast app you use. And it would be great if you could leave us a rating and review on iTunes so that more people will find us. Um we appreciate your comments. We appreciate you listening. And please remember, I know we talked about this at the beginning of the episode, but we want to just say it again. Um, black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Um, trans people deserve rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, trans you know, men are just, men. Trans women are women. Yeah. J.K. Rowling and is neither. J.K. Rowling canceled. is a fucking piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just, you know, we are all learning, like, no one's perfect, but just, like, commit to learning and commit to continuing to learn and being open to changing, because that's the only way that 
the world can get any better. Yeah. Hopefully we will so. all learn something from our our next read yes. and we can all talk about it together. Yeah. Yes. I'm looking forward so we to can it. all do better together. Mm-hmm. Yes. Unless you're JK Rowling, in which case <laughs> you can fuck right off. No more chances. <laughs> yeah, no, this is it. <laughs> On that note, bye. Bye. <laughs> bye. <laughs>